Did you know that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day? But don't take my word for it. Take, well, actually, you should take my word for it. And here's what you need to do. You need to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Zach. That's www.ZipRecruiter.com slash Zach to learn more there about recruiting the best people for your business, the Fastest, best people fast. You know that fast, good, cheap pyramid? Well, this is doing it all. This is fast, good, and yeah, you got to check out the pricing online. Uh, that's kind of above my pay grade, but Zip Recruiter, check it out. Too, too, too many ads. Here we go. The Zach Kuhn Show. Episode 66, Tracy Gershon, who has really done it all, actually. She has been a publisher, a manager, a label A&R. She has judged on a reality show. She's also an advocate for women in country music. Let me tell you something. I think that Nashville is a better town with Tracy in it. And you know what? I don't say that about that many people, actually. I think we actually uh, uh, lose a couple people in this town, to be quite honest. No, I'm joking. There's a lot of great people in Nashville, but Tracy really stands above many of them. And, I mean, she's signed some of the biggest acts in the format. We're going to reveal those in this episode. I don't want to give anything away, but here we go. Episode 66, Tracy Gershon. Let's dive in. Tracy, how do you get the gig at Nashville Star? Because... I've, I, you were working for Sony at the time. I feel like as an executive, you got enough going on. You probably don't need to go do a crazy competition show. How do you get roped into it? Who pulls you in? Oh, my gosh. You know, I have to say, when I, it, I, it was one of these things that they, they came up with. I mean, Sony, I guess, signed on to it. And I was the new kid on the block. I'm not kidding. I was the new kid. on. It was like, give it the... Listeners may not know this commercial. Do you remember Mikey? Give it to Mikey. Do you remember that old commercial? Yeah. Like Mikey would have yeah, 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 yeah. given Absolutely. I think I was Mikey. Nobody wanted to touch it. Give it to Tracy. You know, I was like, okay. And uh, and I didn't know what it was. You know, it was, you know, American Idol had just started. I was just like, oh. And I said, you know, and I really had signed on just to be the talent advisor. You know, the record company, we were going to be the recipient of whoever won and we would make, you know, a record with them. And so they just literally gave you, you figure it out. And I met the showrunner and the director and I literally didn't know anything about country music. I made him, we went to Austin and I made him pay, you know, buy like a thousand dollars worth of records. And I really liked the guy who's cool. And, and the truth is I did not want to be a judge. They asked me to be a judge. I said, absolutely not. There's no way I was going to do it. And they kept asking me and we kept thinking of different people. Cause I literally thought, I don't, I don't want to show my ass. Like, you know, I don't want to be on T like, it's not, no, I want to be behind the scenes. And I, this is a true story. My kids had just gotten into a private school and I got the tuition bill and I was like, Oh my gosh. So I called back. Sign me up for the show. I did. I go, does this pay extra? And so I did. And you know, I have to say I was so nervous about doing it. And like the day before we left, cause I didn't know what it was going to be. And I, um, I, I was nervous about it and I was talking and I'm going to, this isn't, this is, this is a name dropping, but my dear friend, Emmylou Harris, who is the queen of integrity, I was telling her, I said, oh man, I'm just going to, 
this is probably going to be the end of my career. And she said, you know what? You just go do it and make it better. And bring, and I went, oh, okay. And I kind of had her in my in my conscience when I did it and tried to do as best I can. And then it ended up being a blast. Honestly, it was so much fun. And, you know, found Miranda Lambert from it. So, you know, life was good. So how did you, because in the first, I think it was the first two seasons, the judges were actually part of the elimination process. Like each episode, the judges would pick someone to get eliminated and then the fans would pick someone to get eliminated, right? I never watched the show, but this is what I God, this I'm is what trying I've to heard. remember. It was uh, the first, God, this is going so back because it changed a lot. I think we did eliminate, yeah, we eliminated. I mean, I go back, I was actually one of the judges. I actually did all the, I mean, I went on the road and did all the auditions. I mean, I was, I was a, an associate producer on the show. I mean, I was the label. I was wearing the label hat too and a judge hat. And I had to go out and do a lot of the auditions. I think the judges, we all eliminated down to the top 12. And I think, honestly, I can't remember if we did the eliminations in the beginning and then it became fan eliminations. Okay. So Nashville star, you're out doing the auditions and you freak out about Miranda Lambert who did not win. And you actually felt she wasn't going to win. She came, I think she came in like third. But you called the label head. I hoped she would. Honestly, I hoped she wouldn't win. So it was really funny. I saw her original audition in, I can't remember if it was Houston or Dallas now. And I, it was the first time ever, like this, you know, that weird about that thing about, oh, the camera loves somebody. You know, you hear that all the time. The director, I saw her, he said, come here. And he made me look through the camera and there was just a twinkle, like I saw it. And she was so awesome. And I remember thinking, when my boss at the time had said, Hey, have you, are you seeing anything good out there? And I said, I just saw this girl that I just love from very, from day one. And, um, so, you know, when she was going through it, you know, and she was going through, uh, you know, the, whatever the show, I hoped that she didn't win because she wasn't quite ready. Like if she want, you know, the thing is you win and all of a sudden you're in the studio and it's fast and it's stuff and you don't really get the, you don't get some of the same benefits of when you, you know, getting your deal in the regular way, you get other benefits. But, and I also, I think at the time Clint Black was, yeah, Clint Black was our mentor and he was going to produce whoever won. And I knew he wasn't the right producer for her. Like I, I kind of knew. So I was really hoping she, I knew I was going to sign her. Like in my gut, I'm like, this is my kind of person. And so I did. And, you know, and Frank Liddell produced a wonderful record on her and the rest is history. Wait, so she gets voted off the show. And then what happens? Do you reach out to her, what, the next day or how does that work? Um, no, I think I had to wait till the end of the show. I mean, in those contracts, a lot of times you get the record label gets first right of refusal, whether it's the first top three or the top five. You know, I've seen all different iterations of this. But you guys were the record label, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got first so you, right. I think there's a certain amount of time you have to sign them. So we had, you know, but she knew, I mean, I just, there was just a, you know, her parents would sit behind me in the show. And every time she'd for, perform, I turned around and they'd wink at me and I'd wink at them because she did so good. And I just loved her. And, uh, and she, I mean, that's a whole nother story that she is, she's just, she's just such an incredible artist and was from day one, even when, you know, I met her when she was 18 and she always had a vision. I always knew who she was and knew what she wanted to do. It was great. Absolutely. Okay. Wait. So then how do you find Casey Musgraves? Because didn't you find her through Miranda's mother? Yes. Yeah, so Miranda's mother, Bev Lambert, who's just a hoot. 
turned out to be one of my secret A&R people because I, I just always have gravitated. For some reason, I've signed a lot of people from Texas. And that's just a great, you know, great music bed there. Why is that a good stomping ground? Is it because there's just such a cultural in the water, man? They're just it's attitude. It's just this great attitude. As if you say, you tell the Lamberts, you know, Lamberts say, you can't say I'm from Texas. You have to say I'm from Texas with attitude. I think it's just attitude. You've got to put a little You've attitude. You've got to put an attitude. It. But so I became very close with um, uh, Miranda's parents, and they'd always call me and tell me about stuff they had seen and I trusted them. There was always, you know, I always follow up on them. And then she called me because even though I wasn't a judge on Nashville Star, for some reason, I ended up always being involved in picking the talent or I was a consultant. And that year, because um, it, it wasn't our label, they wouldn't let me, if it went to a different label, my own label would not let me be a judge, you know, I guess. But Miranda's um, mother had called me about Casey because Bev's mother and I think it was Casey's grandmother were really good friends. And so I got her audition tape and I was like, yeah, this girl, I mean, it was the same kind of thing. I thought, oh, she shouldn't win. She probably won't win, but she's good. And, and, and she came in like, oh, she came in seventh. Like she wasn't going to have any of this show. Her attitude was like, "Uh uh-uh, but she, I gave her her, when she moved to Nashville, I gave her her first um, publishing deal. I mean, and she was the first, when I went to uh, go work at Warner Chapel, she was my very first signing because I knew again, she had that little spitfire attitude that I loved, you know, and so again she did she just she's doing pretty well i'd say so what's the secret because i mean even last season of american idol i had a ton of friends who went and auditioned a lot of people were asking me if they thought i should go i was like i don't know what you should do i mean you figure it out but i mean i tried to give them advice tried to talk through with them but what's the secret because nobody i mean what did chris young how far did he make it on nashville Star? i think he won i think he did and he, it's funny, he would not do the show the first two years I asked him to do the show and he would not do it. He wouldn't do it. So there are exceptions to the rule, but how do you know if, if one of these shows is for you? Do they, do they give you that platform with Miranda and Casey? I guess it connected the dots, but so many get lost in these shows. Are these shows oh, really the move? No, I don't, you know, it's hard. I think in the beginning they were, they, they give you an audience, but I think you really have to, um, I think there's been so many of them and it's been for so long that it's not like a sure thing. And I don't even know if that they get record deals anymore. It used to be, you got a record deal. Now I don't even know if you get that. And I think now in the contracts, they don't have to put out the record. So I think now it's about that, you know, 30 days of, of fame and what you do with it and, you know, getting your socials up and all that. Uh, I mean, there's, if you look at all the history of American Idol and the voice, there's very few, the ratio, very few who have gone on to do something is small. Um, but you know, like with, you know, for me as an A&R person, Miranda, you know, I, I really, you know, Miranda was just such a, she was just an amazing artist. And, you know, for her, if you look at her, you go, she didn't want to do, you know, her mother made her do that show. She didn't want to do it. You know, she's just kind of too cool for that. And there was, there was a couple artists that I had auditioned and I knew that it wasn't the right thing for them. There, um, Hayes Carl, there's a guy, I don't know if you know who Hayes Carl is, a great artist. He did. I did private auditions. That's the other thing is when I went out, I actually knew that some artists are not going to do that whole, you know, like stand in line for eight hours. So I did some private auditions like in Austin and certain markets where I knew people and I would call club owners and say, hey, do you have anybody that's really good? So we did private auditions and Hayes was one of those guys and he was great and I wanted him on the show, but he said, you know, I just don't think this is for me. And I kind of went, you know what? I think you're right. So there's certain people not going to do. Aaron Watson was one too. 
I love Aaron Watson. Aaron Watson. I asked, I went after Aaron Watson. He goes, this is not for me. And I went, you know, okay. You know, I was just one of those. I was not, I didn't want to force anybody to do anything like that. An amazing artist, Aaron Watson. One of my favorite artists of the Texas, uh, the Texas trade. One of my favorite artists. Okay. So we've, I mean, Tracy, we've got so much to talk about here. I asked you to send me this list very last minute of, of Uh, the top five country albums to listen to that, that you have to listen to that represent country music. And here's the thing. I think there's something significant about these are the first ones that came to your head. So this is not a definitive list, but this is, but this is a list right here. And I think there's some great, and I, I put a list together too. So let's just start with the, with the first one at the bottom. This is not in any order, but I just want to talk about this piece of the sky. Emmy Lou Harris. Um, this is my favorite Emmy Lou Harris record. I think this is the mm-hmm. only Emmy Lou Harris record that I know intimately. Um, yeah. But this is a gala rock. And I think the opening uh, song uh, uh, blueberry wine, big rock guitar with James Byrne playing yeah. a big like. Dum, 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 dum. I mean, very cool. What? Why this record? Why this? Ca- just this came to you quick. Why this record? Well, I mean, there, I have so much to say about this, and I hope you let me, because you did that, and I was like, just getting out of the shower. I'm like, what? I five. And at first, I was like, okay, it's always because I used to. Well, let's see. Let me answer that question first. Emilio Harris, godmother to my children. My husband was a member of the hot band for years, but Emmy and my husband are the one who's taught me about country music. Is that when you ask her to be your kid's godmother? Because you're serious about this. It's not like, uh, this is not like metaphorically. She actually no, is. she's the godmother. She, she she's is. the fairy godmother. Does, yeah, she is you, the actual is godmother. Is there a lot of chutzpah to ask her to do that? Or are you pretty casual with her? Was it just like, hey? No, she was just made sense. She sang at my dang wedding. She was the one. She was my wedding singer. So if God forbid anything happened to you or her husband, your kids were going to be raised by... Emmylou Harris? Is that what that means? No, uh, you know, they're the godmother. Actually, you know who was going to probably raise him was Allie Harnell, which is funny. Was she's Allie like, Harnell? she's the one that was in, you know, just because they're the godmother, they don't raise you because she was Emmy's on the road. Okay, no, fine, she's fair. very close. She, my kids love her. She's been an amazing friend and, and guardian. And she taught me so much about, she was my teacher, but I think it's one of the, and, and, and that's one of the records that made me love country music too. When I started listening, cause I was a rock kid, but you know, I put, you know, when you ask me that question, you know, my automatic answer, and this is, was, you know, I put in, you know, Swinging Doors, Merle Haggard. Well, I don't give them all away. Don't give oh, them all wait. away. We're, we're, we're going to get to talk them. about them. We're going to get to them. give you the reason, but no, we're going to difference. get, we're going to go through each one. So, okay. Oh, so Emmy Lou, okay. Emmy Lou, uh, Piece of the Sky, this record, this is a rock record to me. Well, here, talk, yeah. talk about it. Keep, keep, keep talking about it. Well, you see, there was like also, I think I had Sweethearts of the Rodeo, which is another pivotal kind of rock country record. Um, there's just a lot of, I don't know if I can talk to, with, with the question, if I can talk to each individually. Individually, they're all just pivotal, um, just records that just uh, defined, I think, the time and defined the genre in so many ways. Um, then um, now I'm scared to say what go off my list. Now you've made me <laughs> this, nervous. This record, this record to me, because I remember saying guitar in college and I was very, in, so I, I put a list together. So at the bottom of my list, but there's no order. I have the Buck Owens live at Carnegie Hall. Oh yeah. Concert, which to me too. is such a, such a great That's album. right. See Buck. Great my album. My cat was named Buck Owens. Come See, on. My favorite, but I, I remember studying guitar in college and I was obsessed with that record. I learned every Don Rich oh, yeah lick on that record oh, yeah. and my i was saying to my guitar teacher what's the next country album i should listen to and he said pieces of the sky emily harris because the guitar playing on that record is incredible also yeah so i yeah. then dove into that record and for me that record 
really got me into the whole 70s and into that lane of country which to me yeah. for me it all starts with that record i don't know if it really does but for me it actually does well again i go back to you know i come from i'm from los angeles i didn't grow up in country music i didn't even like i made fun of country music i literally did i made fun of country music i thought i was hokey i didn't know anything about it i meet my husband who's a steel guitar player who plays with emmy lou harris I didn't even know. I had to ask, what's a steel guitar? I know that you're a steel guitar, but I didn't know. And then I did a deep, I mean, I went full on and learned everything. And between Emmy and Steve, they turned me on to, you know, well, I knew about the Burrito Brothers, but went into Lefty Frizzell and all these old stuff. And I started, I go, these are all rock, like they're close to these rock These are music. rock I albums. Saw the, these are very close. I saw the thread. And I just become, I became so obsessed with it. And I started managing country acts. I mean, it was just a, a big awakening for me. And, um, you know, thus, you know, I made my career in country music, but I didn't know, you know, I was a late bloomer, but man, I just, and then also, you know, early on in my career as a concert promoter and I, and this is going to age me cause I'm, I think 120, but you know, I worked, I'd read article, I worked with uh, pretenders on their first tour and all they wanted to do was go to the Palomino to see country Western. And then I read about Bruce Springsteen and his favorite act was Hank Williams. And I kept going, all my rock heroes, I keep referring to these country guys. So, you know, it was all just led me there. And I went, this is the coolest stuff. I, that's how I got into it too, because I, cause Jimmy page, for example, talked mm -hmm. a lot about how he would listen, was listening to Buck Owens, Don yeah. Rich, also the Beatles and Roy Nichols, who was playing with, um, uh, uh Merle Haggard, like it for me, I got into it through the rock guys, yeah, which exactly. is to me where it is. Okay, so you're living in LA or you're from LA, you're like born and raised LA. Yeah. We're, we're gonna come back to this list, but you're born and raised LA. And what you're you're promoting concerts, and what's the story? We've talked about this, but for the record, what's the story where you funded your first record? You were managing. <laughs> Who Rosie Rosie Silvers or who? who no, you, Rosie Flores. Ro, Rosie Flores. Thank you. You were managing Rosie Flores, and she needed to make a record, and there, you had no money, and you decided to go on a game show to yeah. raise the funds for this project. What's the story here? How? I'm how, very, how, how yeah. Do you so do I that? was one of my first again after I fell in love with country music, and Rosie Flores was like the female Dwight Yoakam. She lives in Austin. She's like the, she's kind of a rockabilly. She's you know, people know who she is, amazing guitar player. And I literally, I, I used to see her shows. And one day she said, you want to manage me? I went, sure. I didn't even know what managing was. Sure. I'll manage you. Well, you know, we need money for a demo. Oh, that's me. Sorry. And I didn't have any money. My husband didn't have any, you know, he was my boyfriend at the time. We lived together. We didn't have any money, you know, and it was expensive. You couldn't just do it off your computer. You need to go into the studio and spend real money. And and I was like, okay. And Steve's like, well, because he was a co-producer. He actually was co-producing the demo along with um, Howie Epstein, who's no longer with us, who was the bass player from Tom Petty. Oh, my um, God. Wow. Yeah. They just basically, they loved country music. And I introduced them. That's another story because I used to work for Tom Petty. But um, they wanted to produce this demo. So we had to figure out how to make, how to get money so i literally looking at the la times and i'm looking through and it says auditions game show and i went I, i'll that's what i'll do and my husband's like what and i go no i'll go on a game show and he goes that's ridiculous i go what you don't think i can do it so once you said tell me not to do something i'm gonna go do it You're in. so i dressed up in a really dumb outfit like the dumbest outfit i could find i put frost in i mean i hairdo went in there jumped up and down like a chicken on a hot plate, you know, and told them I was a senior citizens aerobics instructor. And there I got on that show. And 
I won, I think, I think we needed $1,500 and I think I won close to $1,800 and a set of luggage. So there you go. Where's the luggage? Do you still have the luggage? Oh no, no, it didn't even have, you know, back then it had wheels. <laughs> Wait, and then what like, was the game? What did you, how did you win? Oh my God, it was called Hot Streak. I think it was over here. It was a, It was a show that was from the UK and the coast was from the UK. Um, and it was over for, it was here for one season and it was, it was like the, the show was like, they put, it was a team, one team against another team. And I don't, it's hard to explain, but the, you know, the, the host would give you a word. Y'all had headphones on, you couldn't hear. And he'd give the first person in line a, a word. He'd say like banana and he'd go, okay. And he'd take your headphones. You'd have to give a clue to the next person. So they'd say banana, you know, let's say you'd say monkey. And they'd go, oh, banana. And then the next person takes off their headphones, but you can't repeat the same clue. So there's a strategy to it. But um, yeah, I got put with a bunch of women and and uh, they weren't so good. So I won most of the money, I have to say, in the bonus round. as I made myself captain of the team and I did the bonus round, which was quick thinking, which I'm good at. So that's management. where we won most of our this, money. Yeah. This is management. Masterclass in management here. Whatever it I takes know. to get it done. You got to go on the game show. You got to raise the funds. This is it. Okay, so you get the funds. Is this record on Spotify? Can you listen to this record? Oh, you know, probably. What's the uh, name of the record? Yeah, it's, it was on Warner Brothers. Oh, my God. It's terrible. Rosie Flores. Look at it on Spotify. I'm sure it is. Wait, I've got um, it right here. Rose, Rosie Flores. Okay, well, she's wait, got a then, lot. What would her first one be? From nine. I could go in the other room and find it. No, no wait, hold on. Okay, so from 1987, self-titled, what year was it? Yeah, it was probably 1986 or seven. Yeah. Self-titled Rosie Flores. Yeah. You Everybody has to go listen to this record and picture Tracy on a game show game, uh, yeah. raising the funds for this record. Okay. So you, how far does this go? Because from, from my understanding, you're, so your first gig at a, like a major company in the industry was EMI, right? So where does that fall in the timeline? Oh no. Well, you know, I was working, see, I was still in LA. And I was working, I think I was working for a small publishing company. And I was just, you know, I was managing, but I was doing all these part-time jobs because I didn't make any money managing. You know, there was no money to be made. So I was kind of working part-time. Then I got a job at a small publishing company and they told me I could go ahead and manage Rosie. But I have to tell you at the time, the man who was who owned the small publishing company, he was trying to get his daughter and his girlfriend deals. And I got a deal for Rosie before either his daughter or girlfriend. And then I, I got made to have the choice. They got mad. And it's like, well, you can either stay here or you can keep managing. And I went, bye-bye. And I kept managing. And then I went to work for EMI in, in LA. And Wait, but how do you get the gig for EMI? Um, I don't remember. I was a good, you know, I loved, they, I was a song plugger. I just, I had a good thing for songs. And I knew, you know, I was... I don't remember how I got it. I honestly don't remember how I got it, but I got this job and I, it was my first song plugging job, you know, and, um, a year later they, um, my husband and I both decided that we needed to be, it was really me. I decided we needed to move to Nashville. Emmy actually had moved first and was like pinging me all the time that I needed to move there. And, and I just felt like this is right before Garth Brook. I just felt like Nashville, I had this gut feeling that Nashville was going to explode, that that's where we needed to be. And my husband was flying there all the time. So I just said, let's go, let's do the two-year plan. And at the time, EMI had gone through a regime change and they literally were going in, the new heads were going in and like firing everybody. And I was ready to get fired. And I, they came in and I said, listen, I, I'm going to save you. I, I'm going to move to Nashville. So, and they started laughing. I go, what's so funny? They go, we were actually going to ask you if you would move to Nashville. We know you love that music. We want to keep you. And I went, 
will you pay for my move? And they said, yes. So I got my move paid for and there I went to Nashville. And that was in 88. In so, yeah. 80, and then how long were you at EMI before you went to Sony afterwards, right? Oh, like two years, maybe a year, year. And then Paul Worley, who actually produced, I met him because he was producing at the end, he was producing some sides on Rosie and I met him. And then he had gone, he was a big producer, you know, produced the Dixie Chicks, you know, Paul Worley, and he was great. And he had gone to Sony ATV Tree um, at the time and to run their creative department. And he called me and said, do you want to come over here? I know, you know, I love working with you. And I went, yeah. And I was actually the first woman song plugger. They had never had a woman song plugger. So there was me and five guys and there, I, you know, and it was funny and I loved it there because I was there for about seven years. For seven years. And then, okay. So then what, what is the, so you're there for seven years. That is that the longest you've been at a major company? So I guess how long were you at Warner Chapel? For oh god yeah I've I've had you know I've worked at a lot of places and sometimes not for very long yeah I was there for about seven or eight years and I have to say I mean Donna Hilly who's no longer with us was one of my mentors who was just just an, a legend and I I just at what well, that point I just felt like I wanted to try A and R you know that was I I was doing A and R because I would find things but on the publishing end and she was so supportive and the first job I took uh, Roy Wunsch who um, ran CBS records at the time was cbs before it was sony and he started a one of the first independent record labels and asked me to come over and do a and r and i just felt like how fun a challenge an independent because you know it wasn't it, there was no independent uh labels and it was just uh, it was myself and he, he and the two principals and we had this kind of band of misfits um and started there and um, that, you know, unfortunately, they were underfunded. They did it as a public company, but they really underfunded. I don't think they realize how much it takes to start to, to, to break artists. Did um, you feel like, because I'm from New York, which is, yeah. you know, I, not really similar to LA, but let's just go with it for a second. I've always felt a little bit like an insider outsider in the sense of oh. I have a great love of country music, but like I'm a New Yorker. Like there's, you know, as much as you don't want to think those things matter, I think they do. Oh. For coming from LA, I mean, what were you accepted right away? Now uh, you're Tracy uh, Gershon, but was it that were you, was it that no. easy out of the gate? Let me tell you, I say this: I was a Jewish girl from LA in 1988 in Nashville, Tennessee. It's very different. You were a vegetarian, also. Oh well, this is, what, and I'll tell you who why I got accepted. The fact the fact that my husband was a steel player, but Harlan Howard, the legendary Harlan Howard, you know, songwriter, you know. uh, tiger by the tail i fall to pieces i mean legendary he and i bonded because i got him a katie lang cut when i was living in la and when i brought rosie flores to nashville for this time first time looking for songs rosie and harlan and i went out to dinner and we bonded like i mean he was just my guy and so when i moved to nashville he called he made calls to like the old the 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 the, the, the yo team and said this girl loves country music take care of her and i um, because I really had a respect. Again, I was listening to stuff from the 50s and 60s. I could talk probably more about Lefty Frizzell and Merle Haggard and, you know, all these things. You know, I, I knew my stuff. And when I first went to EMI, I'll never forget this. Um, uh, Max Barnes, a, a famous writer, was one of our writers, and he wanted to meet with the new song plugger. And I come walking in with my little black motorcycle jacket and my black L.A. skirt. And I come in and he looks at me and then he looks at the receptionist and says, well, she don't look like no country song plugger. <laughs> and, and then I had to talk to him and then he, I just won him over. But Har he said, but Harlan says you're good. And I really think that Harlan opened up the doors and said, it's okay. Because 
back then, I think that everyone felt like the people from LA or New York looked down on people from the South. And they might have been right, you know, and I kept having to convince people, I moved here on my own. I love the South. I love this music. But I, it was, the, there was always a little bit of skepticism. But the fact that I, I had two names, Harlan Howard and Amy Lou Harris, who were very credible, said, she's okay. I think that really helped me. That was enough. Do you think being, because I have gone, I go deep into the music that I love of country from the 50s and 60s and 70s. Mm. And I'm a total out, you know, in New York, I had to track this stuff down. Nobody was feeding me this. I had no, you know, this wasn't around what I was listening to. But I was just so fascinated by it. And then the people who I know who are national people who maybe grew up in more traditional southern states, a lot of my friends don't really know beyond the 20s, maybe going into the 90s, but not really beyond past that. Is it because we're not from the South that we have such an interest in the older country music? I, You know, that's a good question, because even when I was looking for songs for Rosie and... um we were going to publishing companies and we wanted some of the old, I mean, we wanted the old, we were kind of doing more of a retro record. A lot of the pluggers, you know, they, they didn't even know that what they had. I mean, when I first went to EMI, this is another great story. Um, I, of course I had no friends here. My husband left, went on the road a week after I got here. So I would stay, I was at EMI and I would just go through all the old and it was real to real tapes. And I mean, I was just, and nobody knew this stuff. And I would make cassettes and say, this song's great. And in fact, Mark Bright, the famous Mark Bright producer was our tape room guy at the time. And I used to, you know, the tapes would break and I, he, he was in the tape room. He'd come back in the next day and there'd be this stack of tapes that were all broken. And he came in one day and he goes, listen, you need to get some friends. You need to get a life because I'd be in there till like 11 o'clock at night listening and breaking the tapes that he'd have to fix. But I was always, it was funny that nobody really knows. There's not very many people who know that back catalog and there's rich, wonderful songs. Like I know the, I, I mean, now I, I don't remember it, but I went through the entire Dolly Parton velvet, velvet um, Apple catalog. That's got some great stuff in her, her importer and, and some great stuff and great songs in there. And I don't think those songs you know, I don't know. They're just, I think at one time they're, I don't say use form, but people were cutting things like that, but the music has changed so much. I just don't know that they translate, but you know, somebody's going to come along, a Dwight Yoakam, another Randy Travis is going to want real traditional and there's, those songs are there. It's going to, okay, wait, I want to go back to this list for a second. So, okay. You uh, sent me this list just before the podcast, the fourth yeah. uh, album on this list. And again, this might not be in any particular order, but these are the it's first not, five that came to your head. Willie Nelson, Redhead Stranger, which I have a very interesting relationship with, but I, I want to hear your, I want to hear what you think, why this album, I mean, this is such an iconic album, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. And I've got you know, some thoughts on my honestly, own. Honestly, I have to say it's kind of anything, you know, that was more because you caught me so off guard and I just did that because I could remember that title because anything, it was more about the artist. It wasn't about the album and there's something, it was, you know, Willie Nelson. I mean, come on, a touchstone. of That's his country. album. If there's an album to recommend by yeah. Willie, that's, that's the iconic album yeah so that's like i think really why i did because i like other well you know song you know to me i okay and sometimes me, i forget what songs are and what records sometimes i've never understood the appeal of this album now uh, i get the iconic nature of it to me it is such a slow record yeah and very i'm very minimalist i've never gone into this record you know you're not the only one and some people go that's not my favorite willie and i and i would have to say i i i threw that out Maybe it's because you put me on the spot and I was just, and you're like, oh, he, you know, gave me five minutes and I couldn't remember some, some of the other titles of the records of Willie. That's why I said. But no, but Loretta these Lynch. are, these are the first that came to your head. That says something, I think. Yeah. 
I, and I, I, okay, I have to go in and you're going to, you can cut this out or whatever. But you asked me that and I came, and I came with, and again, the typical, I said, Loretta Lynn, I mean, here's the things, George Jones, you need to listen to George Jones, Loretta yeah. Lynn. I had a, a thing and, you know, Emmy Lou and all this, because as an, I used to always say in any musical genre, you have to know, you have to know where you've been to know where you're going. And I do believe that in, in when you're in a genre, you need to know the history. And I used to do that with, you know, even with, you know, Miranda Lambert, going back to her, we'd sit there and talk about, you know, Merle. And I love that she knew, and I would turn her on to some stuff. And she, you know, we talked about the his history of country music. Now, I think it's very different because it used to be that when you said you were a country music fan, that's what you listened to. That's really the genre you listen to. And now I would, it's so different because people don't listen in genres anymore. You don't, you can be, if you're listening to Maren Morris, you probably like Rihanna. Right. You know, it's just, there's no, there's, there used to be like, you had a lane and you, most people chose a lane and, and they'd be like, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I listen to RB and I listen to country and it'd be like in secret. It doesn't, that doesn't exist. So I don't even know if I had the same answers. Like now, if I was doing A&R and somebody said, what record should I listen to? I might be completely different. You know what I mean? Because you're not listening. It's right. not even the the historical. I still think you always should know history of anything, but the genre thing is, is, you know, soon we're not going to even be thinking about genres because we're already not starting to because of the way music is being delivered and the way we but consume music. But I think that that's the, I was talking with Seth Godin last week on this mm -hmm. podcast and Name he was dropper. talking about how the importance of genres to actually put you in a box that the creativity comes from actually being in a box and figuring out what can I do creatively in this box. I like that there is a genre of country and the people who are brilliant are the ones who are taking the genre like Casey Musgraves and saying, this is my take on country. And mm -hmm. It's totally different. If you take away the walls of genre, I don't know if it lands the same way or it, it, everything kind of feels a little confusing. I think, I think actually being in a box of a genre is where the creativity can happen with it. Right. But I also think, yeah, true. But I also think that artists aren't listening all, you know, 10 right, years ago, right, if right. you ask, if you ask Randy Travis, he didn't, he couldn't name probably one pop artist. He didn't listen right, that way. Right, right. So now, you know, you've got all these artists who are listening to other things. So that's infiltrating what their, you know, their influences are. I mean, there was that classic story of, you know, Randy Travis being told he was on the pop charts and he was like, get me off, <laughs> you know, he's right. like, I didn't even know. Okay. I, I put down, okay. So I, I made this list also. So I think, and this is a modern album from the last 20 years, but to me, this album is really a turning point for the modern sound of country. This is Crash My Party by Luke Bryan, which I think really represents where country is now today. So whatever you think about that record, if you want to understand the format to me, that is a record that everybody has to listen to if you haven't already. If you're coming in just now to the industry, I think you have to listen to that Luke Bryan record to really understand where the industry is today. Probably the start of Bro Country. Probably the start. I think it is. And there okay. are a couple others, but for me, that's my record. Okay, wait. And I, there, we, There's so much else I want to talk about, but I want to do one more. Because uh, mm -hmm. Live at Folsom Prison, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this record. Obviously, probably one of the most iconic country albums of all time. Mm -hmm. But what, why this record? I mean, this is the record. This is like... I, the I mean, songs on this are incredible. Like what's this, this one's incredible, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Johnny cash. I mean, it's again, I look at the, what is, what I'm is pulling the up the song list here? I mean, yeah. this, the, the songs you know, are just I will unbelievable say, on this. Sometimes I don't remember what's like, I get my records, my albums confused. First of all, I mean, okay. So this has got like 25 minutes to go, which mm -hmm. to me is a upbeat uh, song. That's one, probably one of the saddest things ever about a prison mm -hmm. inmate who has 25 inmates uh, minutes before they execute him. This has got cocaine blues, one of the most I mean, wild. Yeah. I mean, come on. This is this is the record, right? This is the record to listen to. 
And just, and I think that's also, I get, you know, the fact that he went back to prison and recorded this live and the irreverence and, and how it was done. And, you know, again, it's just Johnny freaking Cash. This, this is the one where he, I think he's the most, he's not a character of himself. No. This is kind right. of peak. This, this is it. This is the record. Where he's peak performance. It doesn't get any better than this. Okay, so what are you working on right now? Because I tried to follow your career, and there's so much oh, going on that's unbelievable. So you're starting a publishing company right now, or you're in the pro you're in a publishing company. No, I have, yes. You're running I, a publishing I, company right now. Yeah. Tell me about the publishing company. Okay. I have a joint venture with Universal Music with this wonderful person named Brandy Carlisle. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, so her and I have a little uh, a, a company called Northern Lights Music. It's very boutique. We have, as of right now, we haven't even announced it yet. Uh, uh, Ashley Ray, uh, Sean McConnell, and Tanya Tucker signed to our company. It's um, our company is going to be celebrating diversity activism. It's kind of wrapped. It's a little, you know, we want to super serve, very boutique. It's we don't want it to be big, you know. It's 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 not the straight ahead, probably commercial country writers, you know, that you think of. These these all have just a really unique point of view. And that's, you know, that's kind of where Brandy and I, you know, she said, let's, the, the island of misfit toys, you know, I'm like, that's, but I, I think we just, you know, she's such a, she's such a nurturer and, you know, we've worked together. We, we've been friends, but we wanted to work together and we're very like-minded in our, you know, again, in our activism, which is probably the most important thing I do now these days. Um, and she, everything she does touches activism and celebrating diversity and, you know, um, supporting women. So we're, we're trying to do a company that kind of, um, you know, wraps around that, you know, and we, um, we've got a lot of stuff. We just, we just sponsored a, a songwriting camp for, um, women of color who we really, you know, with some of the biggest songwriters in town, just so we can help, you know, bring them into the community that they deserve to be in. And it's been great. And she's fully supportive and Universal's a great partner. So there's that. And I have, I do have a consulting company. Wait, I so hold on to mm-hmm. stay on that for one second. So yeah, when, yeah. when you're working with like someone like Tanya, who's like a legend, her career is just, I mean, especially in the past couple of years, what's happened with her career is just incredible mm-hmm. to have seen. What's it like working with someone like her versus someone like Sean? So is she writing new material well, and are, or, or, or is it more kind of like estate management and management well, back catalog? She will be writing, you know, remember this all started right at the pandemic. So this company has started with the pandemic. So, you know, none of us have been together and Tanya, listen, Tanya's a storyteller. She's got, you know, you, you just around Tanya and it's a song and, and that's how, uh, 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 while I'm living or, you know, the big Grammy winning song on our last record was written because she had this idea and she went to, to, when she was making the record with Brandy and Brandy and the twins, you know, uh, Phil and Tim Hansroth wrote around, you know, wrote around this idea. And, and, and so that will be the next record as well because Tanya has a story to tell and Brandy's great at taking somebody's story and putting it to music and words. And, and, you know, she's really, you know, she was a big believer. Tanya was such a big hero to her. And she's like, you know, she just, she had called me one time and said, hey, I want to produce Tanya Tucker. I mean, I think Shooter Jennings was already doing it. And Brandy's like, I've got to get in on this because that was her hero. She said that, you know, Tanya Tucker was the person when, when, when Brandy was young and loved country music, but Tanya was tough and Brandy really related to her. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great to see them together. You know, and Tanya will tell the story. She didn't even know who Brandy was, <laughs> you know, it, it was a lot. It was, it was a, not in her comfort zone. 
So how did she approach? How 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 does that happen? How did she approach her, or how did she get in? How, how did how, Brand? How did Brandy convince Tanya that that she was someone who should who she should let? I think it had to come through Shooter, and then like they got together, and I think it it, it she warmed her. Listen, you, because we you always just, think on the outside, we always think that for someone like Brandy, who's so famous, you know, it's like you pick up the phone, you're in, boom, it's done, oh, it's easy. No. So it was is she is she she kind of had to make it happen. Yeah. And, you know, listen, Brandy Clark, I mean, Brandy Clark, I work with Brandy Clark too. Brandy Carlisle um, is one of those people. I said, it's a good thing she's a good person because she could make anybody drink the Kool-Aid. You just want it. You, she makes you believe. And it, cause it's comes from a very authentic place, you know, okay, I'm going. And I think it took a while because, you know, Tanya didn't know, didn't know from Brandy Carlisle. She knew Shooter Jennings cause she knew Waylon. She'd known Shooter since he was a kid. And Shooter was a co-producer on Brandy's last record. So there was a relationship there and they work really well together. You know, he produced that record um, with Dave Cobb. So yeah, but it took her, you know, Brandy will say, she, you know, Tanya wasn't like, oh, is this Brandy? Like I did an interview with, with Tanya Tucker on my radio show and Tanya was saying, I don't know who this Brandy was and who is this Brandy, you know, and now she loves her, you know, because Brandy will stay in there. Brandy is not, doesn't have an ego. Like, what do you mean she doesn't know who she, who I am? That makes her work even harder. It doesn't matter. And then what is Sean up to? Is there anything we can talk about? Because Sean's oh. got an amazing new project that I, that I saw live like last year, whenever we were seeing Oh, the record. Live. Yeah. Unbelievable project. Like what's happened. So like, what's it like working with someone like him? Like, like mm-hmm. what's the day to day? Well, he, um, you know, I worked with him. I signed him when I was at Rounder Records as an artist. And I'd worked with him at Warner Chapel. Um, I didn't sign him. Um, Alicia Pruitt signed him. And I just, he became one of my favorite, favorite writers when I was at Warner Chapel. And then when I went over to Rounder, I signed him to a record deal. And then um, when I started this publishing company, I always keep in, you know, when I, when I, when I work with you, you're, you've got me for life. And we wanted to work together again. And he is just this creative human being and he's just you know he wrote the daughters for little big town he write he can write anything he's had number ones he's written for meatloaf he can, you know he's just so he's he, he's just a genreless but he's just making this great music and he just released his record and he's producing a lot now i think he's just one of you know next year ask me about him he's just he's great in the studio he's got his own studio now and he's just creating all the time and he's producing he's in the middle of producing ashley ray's next record he wrote he produced her last record too. So they're both in my camp and they're just these creative, wonderful, wonderful, you know, creative beings, but wonderful human beings. That's really my mantra. I just want to work with wonderful human beings. Okay. So we've got this publishing company, mm-hmm. which is, has not even, has not really had a formal announcement. So this nope. might be an exclusive, this is exclusive this could be. content That's the first here. time I'm talking about. We've been this kind might... of under the radar. Yeah. Cause we've got some other people we're trying to sign and we were under, wait, under okay. the, under the radar. This, eh, if we need to cut it out. We'll cut it out. Whatever. No, it's, no, okay, it's, so we, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. You, you knew me for two seconds that you were telling me about the publishing company. I Northern was like, Life Music. Well, can't I've been that secretive. for a year. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and so we're just going to make our formal announcement. Sometimes it's nice to fly under the radar though. You know what I mean? We're just kind of doing our work no and pressure. not making any splashy announcement or whatever. No, I totally get. It. Okay, so the publishing company. The what else can we talk about? Because I know there's a million things you're plugged into. You're the chair of the Recording Academy for Nashville. If well, I'm not that the correct. chair, I'm a trustee. I just, I, yeah, I'm a the, trustee. The trustee. For, yeah, and then I'm very involved with the Recording Academy. I have been for years. I, I really believe in that and all the work they do. Um, 
um, you know, I'm proud of. I who am, plans the uh, the Nashville Country Grammy performance? Who who? How does that come together? That's Is, a, do they put that together? Are you? That's a television. No, no, that's the television committee and the director, and that's CBS. I mean, let's. It's the network. You know, it's that's it. It's the network yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So what does that mean to, to, to represent Nashville for the Recording Academy? Well, I mean, we have an amazing board. You know, all these all these uh, major you know cities have boards. And um, as a trustee, I, I help um, bring the really I'm, I represent our members and I represent our board into what we call the big room, which is all the other trustees. And we make a lot of decisions and policy and changes. And it's a really active board. It's not run by just the CEO. It's run by a board. And this board is amazing. I mean, you've got like people like John Legend on the board, you know, it's creators. That's what's so great about the Grammys. It's really full of creators. And, you know, the voters are creators. And, you know, when you get a rant Grammy, it's because your peer voted on you. You know, and a lot of the other um, award shows, it's kind of doesn't take much to become a voting member. You know, if, if I do Zach's hair, I can be, you know, a, a, a voting Somebody's member. And that's fine. It. You know, that's it's different. That's why the Grammys are different. It's a peer voted award. But, you know, they do so much great things between music cares and their education, their advocacy. So I've just been a member of the, you know, this board for like since I was in the music business. I really believe in it. How cool. Okay. So I cut you off. So the, 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 recording I need to academy. talk about the things that I love. Yeah. Well, go, I love go, 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 go. Change the conversation. So we have to talk about change the conversation. There's two things. Like I said, I really felt, um, so in 2014, uh, myself, Beverly Keel and Leslie Fram, um, got together because we realized, and we knew that there was a um, real problem in country music with women. I've always worked, for some reason, I've, I mean, I worked with men too. I've always worked with women and, and I was um, managing, I still do uh, a woman named Natalie Stovall. And I will tell you this, she had a great buzz on her and a label head who's no longer there had said to me, wow, your artist has such a great buzz. And I said, yeah, I know, why don't you sign her? Cause she was out of her deal. He said, oh, I'm not signing women. Women just don't work. I can't sign any women. I, I felt like I say this, I had a hairball. Like I, could, I couldn't even, something was coming up and I couldn't talk. And at the same time, Leslie Fram had been in town. And she was like, where are all the women? What's what's going on? And Beverly Keel, who's a journalist and over at MTSU had written an article, where are the women on country radio? And right. we all got together and just said something's up. And we started, we kind of got together. We, we, we got about 30 people together, men, some men, well, there was really one man uh, there, but managers and agents and said, here's a problem let's not just have a wine and bitch fest. Let's, let's do something about it. And um, we realized back then that there was just this, you know, it was this, this cycle where labels weren't signing women because they said radio wasn't playing them. And so, and radio wasn't playing, they weren't getting enough women and publishers weren't signing women because they didn't have an outlet for their songs. Right, and then booking right, right. It, it was so the cycle and it was ridiculous. And especially when you have you know, most, you know, the population is mostly women and women are a big part of listening to country music. So we knew we had to do some things to change. And one of the things I think we really did is when you're told when you're when you're a woman and you're told that there's only one slot at a label, it makes you very competitive. And we got a lot of the women Our one of our first meetings. We had Kelsey Ballerini, who was making her first record. And we had Lauren Elena and Mickey Guyton and everybody. And we're like, listen, if you guys don't support each other, nothing will work. So a win for one is a win for others. And I think we really helped galvanize and develop this community and it's been great. I mean, we still have a long way to go. And then, so, you know, change the conversation is, you know, we, again, it was kind of before time's up and me too, and we were ahead of our times and we're still doing the work. Um, and then um, last year after the um, 
George Floyd mur murder, uh, about six of us, we co-founded Nashville Music Equality, which talks about social injustice and, you know, and it really in community and racial, in, racial, um, racial bias in our own community. And that's just been really educating for me and Gray. And I just feel like stuff, you really can work, you really can make a difference if you start in it on a local level. You know, right. in a, you know, you want to go big, but it's a local level and we still, we have a lot of, we have a lot of work to do. So there's I love on the, um, I love on the change the conversation website. There's, it's just a giant tomato, of course, reflecting the, uh, tomato gate, which, situation. you know, happened after change the conversation. Everyone thinks that we, that's why we took out our logo because we, you know, had, he had, we had about two meetings that changed the conversation and then it was fine, you know, a few people. And then the day we had this one meeting, I'll never forget this one uh, programmer, for people who don't know, put in an article and said, if you really want to improve your ratings at radio, here's what you do. I look at my programming like a salad. The men are the lettuce and the substance, and the women are just the decoration and the tomatoes. And that came out the day we had one of our meetings and I tell people we could have levitated the room. The meeting was over at CAA and people, and they were so pissed. And I looked at Leslie and Beverly, I said, you know, we had a little Kindle going, but this just threw a gasoline. And the next thing you know, our thing blew up. And then we just, that's what we used as our, as our logo. And I called the prog programmer that who said that I actually talked to him. And I said, well, thank you. You just gave us a logo. <laughs> okay. Was your approach with this, like one approach, let's say, to really look at the data, because I know like people were saying that male acts were selling more beer than women acts, and you were like, like show me the data, and then you were like, look, the data's re it's basically well, even. Well, like, that was, were, was that yeah. your approach with it a little bit? Well, I think our approach was like we can't just say it and whine about it. We've got to get some data, and we've got to do some work, you know, and just not be an emotional thing about it. And one of the, you know, we had a couple agents. I think one of our agents, um, Abby at, at William Morris, we were just kind of going around saying, hey, what are your issues? And she said, you know, my club owners will say to me, I don't want to book women because they don't sell as much alcohol. You know, the truth is, it's not about the act. It's about how much alcohol you can sell. Right, of course. You know, my first response was, well, they don't hang out with my friends because we can drink a lot. And then I just said, do me a favor. Have, you know, one of your friends at one of these clubs pull receipts from uh, this woman and this man that are kind of at equal level. And she had him do it. And he was surprised. He went, wow, there's not that much difference. You know, maybe there was more wine. There was, the, the receipts weren't that much different. So it he even matter. was like buying into this, this, this fallacy. And so I said, see, these are the kind of things we've got to break. There's, there's just false, you know, we've, we buy into this, that women don't want to hear other women. You know, that was the thing is that was, was happening radio. Well, women don't want to hear other women. Where are you hearing that from? You know, women aren't hearing, don't want to hear other women because they're not hearing them on the radio. So they don't know that they, you know. And it's so right. that was that's a thing, and we still have a long way to go. But that was just so frustrating for all of us, and I know frustrating because I, I think women are making amazing music, and you know I think that they are held to a higher standard that their their music has to almost be better than the guys because I think I do say that guys sometimes can get away with mediocre songs and they still you know somehow get get played, and I think women have just more substance right now, and I think they're held to a different standard, and we're you know that's just not right. Do you so, think? Yeah. It feels like, especially within the past year, it feels like there is more of a spotlight on this issue, that more people are getting shots. Do you think that's actually true? Do you think that's driven kind of in the media? And do you think that's really the reality that's being reflected? Where, of course, there's a, lo a long way to go, but where do you think this problem or this issue stands right now? Well, I think, listen, I think we can look about, even when I say change the conversation, we started, we looked at the labels and there was no more than like two women signed to each label. 
there was not, and now you look, there's a lot more signed. And right. I, you know, look, labels are a business. If they don't feel like they can make money, you know, it's, it's, you know, they can like artists all they want. They still have to make money. And I think they were just thinking, are we going to, you know, how, who are we going to make money on, which is fine. Um, and I think that, yeah, there's still, there's still, if you look at radio charts and some of the DSPs, it's better, but it's not by much. It's not by much. It's not why there is no parody. And, you know, music is, look, here's the problem is music subjective. You can say, I love it. You know, it's not like, you know, I mean, and, and I used to say, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you should be on the radio either. You got to make great music. But we, there was a, you know, there's, I've had arguments with a lot of some radio programmers and stuff who said, well, you know, that's just not a great song. And I'm like, that's in the eye of the beholder. I can point to some songs that are top of the charts that aren't great songs. They're maybe they're hits, but you know, it's because you're playing and playing them. And some of these the songs that never got a shot, you know, because I think people are easy to say, well, it's a female, it's not going to work. You know, we gave it a shot, you know, we played it in overnights. I don't know. You know, I just, I, I just think I'm a song person. I don't know. I used to say this song for sure, if it's a great song means it's a hit. I don't think that there's too many other factors now that go into it, but I do know great songs. And I knew there's some females who are just putting out some great songs and are not getting what they're just due on those songs. That's all. I don't care who sings it. I don't care about it. I just exactly. care if the song is good. It doesn't make any difference to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. A male could have sang the Casey Musgraves record. And if it sounded like that, I probably still would have liked it and vice versa. But it, you know, it's, uh, it it's doesn't funny. make any difference to me. You you do this own like I remember uh, Leslie Fran was telling me she had she was talking to these two women from it was a CMA awards I can't remember she was talking to them and she said who are your favorite artists they named like six you know the top guys and then she said what about and she named like three or four females and they looked at and they said we don't know about that and what Leslie realized she goes because she's not here they're not hearing them on radio that's what that's what they're listening at they're listening to what they hear so that's what they like and if you don't you know again if you if I only give you chocolate ice cream all the time and never vanilla, you don't know that you like vanilla, you know, because you don't have it. That's a bad analogy. I don't want to call anybody vanilla. Right, right, right. If Although you've never you tried like gefilte fish, how do you, you know? <laughs> how you do you know it. if you like it? This is why I, I feel the need to try it once every five years. That's true. Okay, we're running know. out of time, but there's I still want to talk about a couple different things. So sure. how how involved were you with the High Women project? Were you involved with this at all? Because I've heard you talk a little bit about it. Um, but you know, no, I mean, I would say because of Brandy, I'm involved and I was involved in the concept and I certainly, Hey, I got, I was in the studio and got my first tattoo that says hi women. Is that and what that was is? A, yes. That, yes. There that it is. says hi women. How great this is, is that? Hi women. Who yeah. convinces you to get a tattoo? I, I well, don't have any tattoos. No, because I'm in the studio and I'm late. I always love tattoos, but I'm just too lazy to go down and get one. And, uh, I think it was one of Marin or, or, um, one of them brought in a tattoo artist. No, it was probably Amanda. Brought in her tattoo person, and everybody was going to get high women tattoos. Jason Isabel was there, and I'm literally sitting on the couch, and the tattoo artist is right there. And she goes, "You want one?" I went, "Okay." And I just put out my arm while I was there talking, and I got my tattoo. It was that easy. You Any, know, I just said to Jason I'm, Isabel, "I go, where should I get it so it doesn't hurt?" He goes, "Right there, right where." He goes, "That's good." I always think if I get a tattoo, I'm going to have so much regret. Any regrets? Not at or all. You, you don't think about it. It's iconic. No, because I also had a little, and I also have, you know, I, I did have one that I had designed and I wanted to do it. And my kids talked me out of it. They were all upset. And of course, they're both completely tattooed. And I was like, um, double standard. But they were younger then. They were like, no, you can't have a tattoo, mom. So I was like, okay. So yeah, you you know, I like it because I liked it. It's not just the album. It's high women. I liked what it represented. And it meant, you know, I mean, you never know. I might have a Zach. 
put on my neck. You know, they all have Zach right here on my neck. We'll get matching line. tattoos. Yeah. We'll do it. Yeah. Okay, wait. And then how did you sign Doug Seegers, who is an artist I know very well? Didn't you sign oh, Doug him to Seegers? Rounder? Oh, yes. Yeah. Didn't you sign him, sign him to Rounder, who has yes. an amazing story that oh still God. is probably not being told to no. the degree that it should be? So, how did you find Doug Seegers? Buddy Miller, you know, the famous of Buddy course. Miller, the wonderful yeah, yeah. Buddy Miller, who's a dear friend, calls me at like 10 o'clock at night and says, hey, what are you doing? I'm at home. And he goes, you need to go to the studio tomorrow. Now, he never does it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, there's this guy you need to see. He tells me the story that you know he tells me the story that um i go are you producing him he goes no i'm just playing on this record he tells me the story that he played with this guy a long time ago but he knew him as duke and somebody kept calling and saying you should play on this doug seeger's record and long story he finds out it's duke i walk and i go buddy if you're gonna make this call i'm going in the studio i walk in the studio this guy is in there and i feel like it's hank senior again i'm just like oh my gosh i i was so taken by him and here's his story so doug seegers had been homeless for 15 years he lived on the streets under the bridge in nashville you know on the and and a woman named jill johnson who's from sweden she had she's a pop artist and she had a show called jill's veranda and she was doing some show on street musicians in nashville she was over here i think she called a couple shelters or whatever and it was and and she called this one shelter and said i'm looking at you know street musicians or whatever and they said you need to go meet Doug Seeger. Her and her film crew, where does he live? He's under the bridge. Jill and her little one-person film crew go down under the bridge. He says, let me play you a song. He plays a song, Down by the River. She's so taken by it. She takes him into the Johnny Cash studio. They record a duet. It goes number one in Sweden. Sweden. <laughs> he becomes known as Cinderella Man. And I sign the rights to the U.S. record. And there's a lot big story to that. But I just, and you know, it's funny because at the time, you know, in the world we live in, everything is about data. Oh, how many socials? How many, what's your Facebook numbers? What's your, oh, are you on TikTok? You know, it's all that. And so even at Rounder, and you know, all labels do it. They had something called a digital health check and you had to fill it out and fill out all the stats. <laughs> and I just wrote F. And they're like, and the you know the, the the finance people or whatever making decisions call me back. They go, "What's this?" I go, "He's been homeless for fifteen years. Sometimes he has his teeth in, sometimes he doesn't. He's sixty three years old. He doesn't even own a computer. He gets an F on his." I said, "I think he might have a cell phone. It's not about that." And I was really grateful they let me sign it because it was a it was a big risk for them. But he was the music was so compelling. And right now, I think there's a documentary being done about him. And there's a documentary. There's another film being done about him and I was, I was just talking with his manager last week yeah they have a new album yeah or there, there's a new album that they're getting ready to release he's an amazing project i hope the world falls in love with him sweden has fallen in love with him oh my you god need... well he's just amazing and you know he still goes down he'll busk you know he'll do a big concert and then he goes he feels more comfortable busking he'll just go it's down there and put it you know he's just i saw him the guy. other night two a couple nights ago the american legion um oh yeah i wish i'd known him yeah i'm he... still you got to call me next time. I'll go with you. I, I, will. I will. Okay, wait. We're running out of time fast, but we have, to finish, we have to finish this list. So we have. We, there's two more records here. Ugh. Swing Doors, Merle Haggard. Incredible record. Why on, this record? Merle Haggard. Well, again, this is one of the, you know, to me, it's like, what, you need to give me more time next time so I can really think about no, this. No, but this is fast. This is, this is, this is what comes about, to your mind it, fast. It was more about the artist. I wasn't even thinking about the album. It was just like, Merle Haggard, come on. Have it's to. Merle Haggard, you know? And I will tell you, in my, in my lifetime, I'm going to just say this. This has been great. I got to meet Merle Haggard because of Sony Tree. And I have a really funny story about 
Merle Haggard, we don't have time about that now. And I got to work Buck Owens. I got to have a conversation with Buck Owens on the phone because I used to work his catalog. It's funny because I had the flu and I was on the phone in the back room and my, my husband goes, what are you doing at back there? I go, oh, talking to Buck Owens. He goes, talking to Buck aren't Owens. you sick? I go, well, I was, but God, I got that adrenaline rush. I feel great now. And then I got to meet, uh, you know, again, Johnny Cash you know, because of Corlene Carter, who was like one of my best friends when I first moved here. So I've really, you know, been, when I look at, when I sit there and go, oh, these lunches. But anyway, Merle, I was just, Merle Haggard, come on. The, be- the voice Merle. is incredible. Chills. It's always, I'm, I feel like I'm always blown away when I listen to Merle Haggard that like some guy actually sounded like that. It's oh, just yeah. the most insane voice. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And then the songs, okay, Merle Haggard. Okay. Sweetheart to the Rodeo. The Flying Burrito Brothers, but isn't this by the Birds, if I'm not mistaken? Did I say Flying Burrito Brothers when I did? I meant Birds, yeah. The Birds. Yeah, this sorry. Is, I wrote Flying, you know, I was just doing, you know, again, this, when you asked me. And I'm, fast, fast. Yeah. yeah, we're not holding against you. The Birds, this record is also an incredible record. Yeah, in fact, I'm looking at the poster. My daughter, talk about tattoos. Uh-oh. That's what she has on her forearm because Sweethearts it's, homage of the rodeo. To, it's homage to my, my husband, really, because one of his pivotal records as a steel guitar player you know this record is i mean this to me is like where like this goes to the eagles this goes to this is such a Everything. base of the, of the family tree this is an amazing record also and you find zach it's funny and i love talking to you because you're one of the few that kind of has these, these historical like you said there's not you you can walk up and down music row and and half these records people haven't heard or haven't you know listened to or these know? To, this is these are the records you have. To, I okay. So I put down for the rest of my list. I put down "Storms of Life," Randy Travis. Yes, I got to which, work with Randy. Which yeah. really is the record that yeah created. You know that that's the record to me. One of my all time favorite country records this time. Uh, Dwight Yoakam. Uh huh. An amazing. Did I have Dwight rock. on there? Yeah. Yeah. You had you Dwight were- on there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And then for me, the ultimate modern country record from the last twenty years. And then this is maybe going to be controversial, but I have American Saturday Night, Brad Paisley. To me, is the perfect mixture of rock and country with incredible musicianship, incredible yeah. songwriting, very approachable if you're not Brad's a country great. music fan. And let's not forget also record. Vince Gill. I forget to put Vince has made some great but records. I don't you know. What, yeah, yeah. You know what I think is is what I love? And it's like when you say Storms of Life and when you talk about these all these records, one thing that they have in common are songs. They're song Just, driven. The song driven. They're songs. They're not about it. They're songs. You know, obviously great guitar. There's always a great guitar playing. Like when you talk about play, that's a that's the you know main thing. But you know, but the songs, song, song, songs. You know, that's, does Vince Gill have a great album front to back? Because I because I the singles are amazing, and he's got so many albums. Is there a definitive Vince Gill album that stands out? Huh. I'd have to think. I mean. Uh... I think the one that has Liza Jane on it. I'm gonna look this up. I mean, the the one with when love you finds know. you. Yeah. Is See, you know, iconic. again, this is where you're getting me because sometimes I don't rem- like right now. I, sometimes I'll go, oh, was that song on this record or this record? Because now I listen and not in terms of I'm mad. I, 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 I'm listening on, you know, I'm listening and I'm not listening on terms of albums. So I, it's word of God. Sometimes I don't remember what song was on. I'll, I'll get them confused. I'm looking at this right now. Guitar. I'm tr- I'm trying to find the album that. Um, Oh, Pocket Full of Gold. To me, that's yeah. probably yeah. the Vince Gill album. It's got I Quit. And I think I say, listen, Vince, I just remember 
uh, again, I have this story where I was when I was in LA and Vince Gill, uh, you know, he kind of we hung in the same group and I knew him before he got his record deal. And I remember he was so depressed because he couldn't. And I just started learning about Nashville and country. And he's like, I'll never get a record deal. I'm not kidding. And I was like, and I heard his demos because his his first manager, Mary Martin, was a friend of mine. And I heard all his demos. And I remember going, Vince, if they don't give you if that, those people in Nashville don't give you a record deal, something's really wrong because I just loved, you know, he came from, you know, he, he just had an amazing singer and I heard his guitar playing and, you know, I think that, you know, they always told him he didn't have the songs. And then of course he went to another label stories, you know, something. Joe Galante dropped him. I had yeah. Joe Galante on the podcast telling the story yeah. that he was signed with RCA and, and it didn't work and, and yeah. he, he had no idea what to do with it. Um, you know, sometimes, listen, sometimes that's the same thing with Patty Loveless. She found another, re, you know, everybody changes labels sometimes. It's not, you know, sometimes you're just where you're supposed to be. And sometimes that gives you even more. I think it gave Vince a little more fire. Like, really? You don't think I have songs? Here you go. You know, I think, I mean, Vince is just the, I don't know. He's one of my favorite people. I've known him for so long and he just really is inspiring. But I know what you mean. It's like, I don't know if that he, he has that pivotal record. Like when we talk about, you know, it Sweethearts of Rodeo or, huh? I think it might be pocket full of gold now that yeah. I think about it, but I don't know if it is. It, he's much more of a singles guy. I think of the songs. It's the collection of songs with him right. than right. a specific album. Tracy, we have covered so much here. What have we left out? Have we left anything out? We've left everything out. We have We've to bring left you back. so much out. We have to bring you back for a part two. Okay, what are we going to eat for our next? <laughs> what, what food what item are we, we going to talk about our next? What are we going to eat? What's the next food item? <laughs> Whatever Hallie, Allie Harnell forces, uh, force feeds us to eat. That's what that's what we're going to talk about. What? So what's happening right now with um with um with Nally Stovall and what what was she up to? Because she's she's doing so much. She's hosting oh, she's the with, Opry. Well, every Runaway Saturday June. Night. She's with Runaway June, of course. Yeah, she's is, with Runaway June that my dear friend Fletcher Foster is managing. That was right, of great. Course. That was giving my adoptive child up to me. How does she get into friends. Runaway June? Was that just kind of a natural thing? Yeah, Obviously, they, they lost a member she had, and she was such a great fit. She had worked with Jennifer Wayne. This is a funny story. When when we were on an, uh, the, a label, Jennifer Wayne was our promotion person. So Jennifer firsthand knew natalie's work worth work ethic and loved her and it was a natural fit and we had talked about you know natalie's an amazing musician amazing front person and it was hard she had fronted her own band but it was a natural step and then you know now she's doing hosting on the opry she hosts southern weekends for circle tv she's just natalie stovall is a people are going to know about her she's an amazing musician an amazing singer work ethic like i've never seen before and a kind wonderful human being She's, she, oh wait, can I can I plug my radio show too before we oh, go? Oh, and I want to talk about the radio show too. So, <sighs> okay, yeah, okay. This is a be t tell us about the show because this is such a cool concept to me. Okay, so it's called Y'all Together Now. It's on the Beatles channel on Sirius, and it basically is interviewing Americana and country artists and how you know their influences by the Beatles and what the Beatles meant to them. And then they do an original. I mean, they do a Beatles song. That's it. What? What have you learned from this? Have you learned anything surprising about someone's connection to the Beatles? Oh, well, I had Rodney Crowell's great. He had bought John Lennon's suit. And he's, you know, there's some stories, you know, obvious. I've had the obvious ones like John and Martina McBride. They've got Blackbird Studios. They're the biggest Beatles fans. Um, Margot Price. I had Margot Price on. She's a, She knows so much about the Beatles, her and her husband. You know, sometimes it's surprising. Um, I'm trying to think. There's every once in a while, you know, Lucy, I, I, I liked uh, Charlie Worsham. I haven't aired his show yet, but he just talks about in his contract. 
he's got um what is it there's a guitar a, a certain guitar that kind of was influenced by the beatles that he, they're gonna buy i can't remember which guitar it is now that they have to you know after he sells a certain amount of records that he gets they'll warners will buy him so there's they, just weird things like in that his contract they yeah have to they buy put him it in his song. contract yeah they have to buy I, I, him yeah a certain of- guitar yeah a Rickenbacker, maybe, or a yeah, I can't uh, remember what it was. I can't, you know, I, you're catching me. This uh, is four o'clock on a Friday, so do you have to find this show live? Because I was going through the Sirius XM app and I was trying to find the archives, but I, I couldn't find the archives. So you have to, when, when is, when is this there? How do people listen to this? Yeah, they're well, you know, they're, um, you know, they play it, they'll, they'll, when I turn it in, then they'll give me dates and they play it like for four. You know, it's funny, they'll play it, they'll give me some dates and then they randomly play it and I don't know. So I'll send you links. How's that? You know, but it should be, I'll ask them about the archives because they should do, you know, they should have they that should in the archives. They should be on the archives. Follow yeah. Tracy Gershon on social media to see when her next Sirius XM show is going to be out and to keep up with everything else she's doing. There's a, She's managing, she's, she's running a publishing company. She's running some incredible movements, Change the Conversation, this new movement that she's telling us about right now. Tell me again what it's called, the one... Um, Oh, Nashville Music Equality. Nashville Music Equality. But I will say to anyone listening, go support your women. Go support those go women. Go support your women. Go support the women. How we, can you, you do know. that? How is you have to sign more women. You have to work more women. You have to give everyone an equal shot. Listen to women on the radio. Go buy, you know, download, you know, listen to them on Spotify. Be an app, you know, be aware that there's some great women out there. I mean, now listen, they're great. I'm not saying listen to stuff is bad, but you know, as far as labels are signing, uh, they are. They're signing more women. You know, radio needs to put them in a bigger rotation needs to play more women um i think you know we're making some moves you know we're we're getting there you know because they're you know, think feels, about all the think about all the new women out there right now it's crazy no it, it feels like there are a ton right especially there are a ton of young women right now who are getting signed um and i think we're still gonna see if they get their singles sent to radio or what's happening but I mean, I gabby barrett just broke some records alex klein yeah. who's a producer yep. by the way and a songwriter on the tenille yeah, arts, arts. Like, and we're all like celebrating it's the first time a woman producer has a number one that's crazy right there so there's a great some a big a lot of women producing right now they just you know what they they just never felt that that was that they were welcome they never thought that it's like they never thought there's certain there's certain um jobs or careers that i think you know men will stay away from them women will stay away from and they just have to know that it's all open to them and if they want to do it they can and that they're supported i think that's the most you know you don't look at somebody oh you're a producer you know it's like rosie flores going back to rosie flores she was a great guitar player and you know what people would say wow she's a great guitar player for a girl and it used to i'd go no take that last part out she's a great guitar player not for a girl you know and that's the thing and that's what we have to remember that's i guess that's what i want to close with so Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Tracy, it is always a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. Have we done? Have we left anything out now? Have have oh, we, sure have we, have, we but done it? We don't it? have time and you're going to have to cut this and it's fine. We'll just, you know, part two. We're, because... we're going to cut We're going to move it around. We're going to, we, we have to bring you back for a part two. Uh, we didn't even cover 25%. I mean, I had, so, I had so many notes here. We didn't even get to half of them. There was so much to talk about. Well, we'll, you know what we'll do is we'll go to lunch and then we'll figure out, okay, what's our next thing? And we'll edit we'll edit ourselves because I think we have a hard time with that. We just want to talk. We'll edit. This This is going to be great, though. Thank you for taking the time. We have no, to get lunch fine. again. I was invited last minute. Last time you guys were at Allie's. I know. We were there. We're talking about you. We're there. I I, I missed the window to come. We'll, we'll have to come again. I, I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll find a time. There you have it. Tracy Gershon on the podcast. I think we could have 
probably done two or three of these. I had so much written down that I wanted to talk about, and I don't think we got to half of it. But um, but thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Tracy for coming on to the show. And look, I want I want to tell you something, which is, you know, this show we we could not do it alone. The Zach Kuhn Show is brought to you by the American Songwriter Podcast Network, and we're proud to be part of this network. And you know, there's some really great shows in this network, actually. That you know, I listen to a lot of shows in this network. Specifically, there's a show, Surviving the Music Industry, which I listen to weekly because that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to survive the music industry. You know what I mean? I'm trying to make it happen. Anyway, look, I got to tell you something else, which is the Zach Kuhn show is mixed by Sam Heyman, and our theme music is by Justin Johnson. And if you want more content from us, if you're like, this was so great, I cannot get enough, you can subscribe to our newsletter at NashvilleBriefing.com, or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. I think that's it. Is that it? That's it. That's all I got. Okay, listen to me. We're going to see you next week. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to Tracy for coming on to the show. Goodbye.